Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect, for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the Bread of Life. Let us seek Him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Our study is from 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here's a surprising command that many Christians in our day seem to have forgotten. Jesus calls his followers into an endeavor to pursue moral excellence. We're not supposed to be like everyone else. We are supposed to pursue a high calling of living holy like Jesus Christ. You're trying to be holy and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're trying to just be an upstanding moral citizen, but you've never realized your deficit and your depravity and your sin and His alone righteousness and received it as your salvation. You're just accumulating what the Bible calls in Isaiah the filthy rags of your own righteousness. You're not dressed in His righteousness alone. But once he makes us righteous, and once he declares us righteous, and once he fills us with himself, and we've acquired this salvation through faith in him, at that moment he he calls us to live a life of holiness. One one old-time pastor says it this way. It's as if God says to you, I have set you right, now go right. I'm not commanding you to be what you're not. I'm calling you to be what you now are. I'm not calling light to shine out of the darkness I filled you with my holy light, and I am calling upon you to let my holy light shine. That's the endeavor of the Christian. It's, it's incredible. It's almost hard to believe, but it's true because we have these promises. We don't work for our salvation, but we are called to endeavor to live out that salvation to the glory of God and to live out that salvation so that we might make the, known the moral majesty and greatness and goodness of the God who has saved us and to live it out from our lives. Maybe you've heard this before. I've said it before. We've heard it said before. It's not originating with me, but it's that you are all of Jesus that some people will ever see. And our job is to live out his life before a world that needs him. Now, the Lord Jesus, by the way, remember, was sinless. and He was holy and he was holy good. And we are to endeavor to live a Christ-like, morally good life. Think about that for just a moment. It's actually not a popular message today. There's been a change that has taken place in the minds of many in Christian fellowships in our times. And I think that idea has come that we think that being saved by the grace of Christ alone, apart from any moral good that we have done, means that we should not go on pursuing any special effort to be morally good, to be good. We think, want to advertise, after all, that God saved us because we're any better than anyone else. Uh, Therefore, thinking this way and reasoning this way, we oftentimes try to not, we don't try too hard to be any better than anyone else. In fact, what we want to be able to say to people is, and we think it's handy to be able to say to them and leading them to faith in Jesus Christ is, well, you know, I'm not really any better than you. I'm not really better than anyone else. And wanting to be able to say that so that we can somehow sympathize with them and get on the right side and show that we're not saved by our good works, the next thing that we need to do when we say that is we begin to think, you know, it might be good to be able to point out to them the accuracy of our statements. 
So I, I need to kind of illustrate for my life my own moral failures and my own mediocrity so people don't think I'm better than them. This is not the endeavor that God has called the Christian to. The effort to be just like everyone else. In fact, that's not what God says is true about you. If you've been saved, he says you're holy, you're saints. He's called you to live that way. He's commanded us to let our light shine. And it's the light of his holiness that he wants to shine from our lives. Listen to what Paul says to Titus in chapter 1 of verse 16 of Titus. He warns Titus against those who would make a profession of faith but fail to show it by good works, by a proper morality. They profess to know God, Paul writes to Titus, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and disqualified from every good work. Instead, what Titus is told by Paul is that Titus must teach the other young men underneath him that he is raising up in their faith in Jesus Christ to make the claim of their salvation while being morally good while behaving morally right. In Titus chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, this is what he writes in them, verse 11 and 12. Likewise to Titus, exhort young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, that is in the salvation that you profess, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Now verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is what your life is supposed to demonstrate. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Listen, people. You're not going to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ and his salvation while living a morally compromised and mediocre life. Well, let's not be dismissive then of the desire, the impulse, and the longing to be morally good. I know in part how it is that we get to this point. We know that what kept us from God's salvation was not only in our relationship with God, was not only our sins, but it was also our idea that somehow we were good enough in ourselves. And what God did in order to bring us to himself was God showed us that our acts of self-produced good works, all they did was produce attitudes of self-righteousness that separated us from him. And what God did is he brought that self-righteous attitude crashing down when he woke us up. And he revealed to us the deep deficit, spiritual and moral deficit in our lives. And when he brought us to mourn, when he brought us in the complete meekness before him without a defense, we realized at that moment that we were not saved by any good deeds that we had done and we'd never be saved by any good deeds that we'd ever do, that we were rightly at that moment steered clear from picking up a mindset of pursuing self-righteousness and living in self-righteousness. Here's the problem. If Satan cannot keep you living in the flesh or to bring you into mediocrity or take you away from the ability to proclaim and live for the Lord Jesus by bringing you into sin, by enticing you into sin, the other way Satan will lure you away from your witness of Jesus Christ in the gospel is he will entice you into self-righteousness. If he can't get you to sin and give yourself to sin, he'll get you into pursuit of righteousness in which you begin to once again seize up and raise up your own self instead of Jesus Christ. 
illustrate that over and over again. Just yesterday, I was reading a book of a great movement that took place in the early days of the 1900s, in which the message began to be proclaimed of Christ as our Savior, and Christ as our coming King, and Christ is the one who lives and reigns with us to make us holy. And another one of the great messages that was discovered at that time, that was and since retrieved in the history of the church, is that this same Jesus Christ comes to bring healing to our body. People began to then embrace this idea of healing for the body. And they began to get excited about that idea of healing the body until eventually they began to set aside the idea of Christ as our Savior and Christ as our coming King and Christ as the one who makes us holy. And what became important was whether you had faith enough to believe that Christ could be your healer. And, and then it, if you went to a doctor, if you got any mental help at all, then you weren't really a righteous person. And they were reverting back to righteousness. And then what happened was people got excited about proclaiming that message to others. And so what they started to do was they were so excited about it even the message of his salvation, they started taking the gold that they possessed in their rings and they started handing it in the offering plates to provide resources for people to take the message of Christ as Savior and Sanctifier and Healer and Coming King throughout the world. And so they began a program though. It was okay that one person might feel that move, but then the idea began to be that they would give Gold for iron. They would trade in their gold and they'd take iron. And then before long, people who gave up their gold for iron began to wear pins saying gold for iron. Little metal pins that said, I gave up my gold for iron. And they became very righteous and proud about it. And it became the thing to do to trade in your gold for your iron. And can you imagine some woman would go to a church and maybe her husband wasn't a church-going man and she was impressed by that message and she took her ring that he had given her as a vow of her fidelity to him and she threw it into an offering plate and came back. She had a little metal pin that said gold for iron instead. You think that honored God or glorified God of that man? It was an exaltation and self-righteousness. So we know that we're not saved by any good that we've done and yet we know this pull not only that go into our sin but to go into our self-righteousness and it's hard not to fall back into it. So having done that, we, we kind of draw back from any pursuit of those things that might be exalting ourselves or might be acts of self-righteousness. But listen, listen to what I have to say here. Having been saved by the righteousness of Jesus alone and being committed not to turn back into a life of self-righteousness, we must be careful not to abandon the pursuit of living righteously. Only now we will seek to live that life by the light of Jesus Christ living in us and by the power of His Holy Spirit indwelling us, and for the glory of God alone who saved us. So, having said all that, let me just say this as a part of the second point. Aspire to moral excellence. Endeavor to live a morally upright life. And you'll find the law of command and principle in the New Testament guiding you into that morally excellent life. And the law of command will say things like, bless and curse not, it will say, love your enemies and pray for those who malign you or persecute you or treat you maliciously. It will say to you, speak truth in love. It will say, owe no man anything but to love him. It will say simple things like, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only those things that are good for building up others. It will say to you things like, it's a shameful thing to even speak of those things which are done in secret. It will say, abstain from every appearance of evil or flee youthful lust. And that's the law of command. And there's a lot more of them. 
There's multiple commanding you to modesty and generosity and love and kindness and honesty. And they're listed in the New Testament. It's the law of command in the New Testament. But what the New Testament does is then it adds a law of principle. So when you come to the law of command, you also find a law of principle. And it says to us this. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' own word coming back to us. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bring much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The law of command is fulfilled by the law of principle, which is Christ. Pouring his life into me and living his life out of me. Magnifying, exalting Him, expressing His holiness as I pursue, as I pursue moral excellence. Thanks for listening in to the Bread of Life today. We look to you to help support our radio ministry. If you've benefited from this time in the Word, would you prayerfully consider giving to the radio ministry to keep it going? Go to breadoflifeboise.org and there you'll find links to archives of these broadcasts and links to full-length sermons as well. There also you'll learn about the international work of church partnership evangelism and our 30-year pursuit of equipping and engaging the body of Christ around the world in personal evangelism, personal discipleship, and in church planting. There also you'll find out more about the local mission fellowship of Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. And also there you'll find a link where you can contribute to keep this broadcast going in our great valley. That is breadoflifeboise.org. Well, until the next time, may God bless you.